Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. The last show before Christmas. I appreciate everybody coming tonight. This is Turfgrass Epistemology. If you're new, we're here to find out how we know what we know about turfgrass science. We normally go over a lot of evidence and a lot of papers, scientific literature. Sometimes we have authors on. Tonight's going to be a little different. We're going to go over some comments and some emails, and I'm going to try, okay, I'm going to try <laughs> to have the um, phones available or a phone line available. I tested it and it worked, but that doesn't mean it's going to work tonight. So um, I'm not even really sure if it's, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? Um, we do have an article and we have a product to go over, but that's sort of if we get to it. If all goes well, maybe we won't get to it and we'll just have a, you know, a, a holiday Christmas conversation tonight. So uh, my name is Travis Shaddix. For those of you who might be new, we're available on YouTube and on any of your podcast platforms. There's quite a few people starting to download the podcasts. That's nice to see. If you uh, enjoy just listening to it in the car or you have a long drive and you want to download something and just put it on and cruise and listen to it then feel free to download any of the on any of the podcast platforms i'm going to be making a change to the show after today um, next i won't be on now because of the christmas holiday so i'll be but i'll be on on wednesday nights um through the holiday time so next wednesday and the following Wednesday, Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And then when the show comes back after the, the Christmas break, uh, I'm going to have the show come on on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., which we already, uh, the show's already on on Monday and Tuesday at 10 a.m. But I'm going to move, I'm going to remove the Thursday morning show and put it on Wednesday morning. So it'll be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning at 10 a.m., and then Wednesday night at 9 p.m. So I'll do two shows on Wednesday, which is no different than what I do now. It's just instead of I do a show on Wednesday night and then I turn around on Thursday morning and do an immediate a show immediately after it when I wake up the next morning. So, But for me, it kind of gives me freedom on Thursdays and Fridays to get things done that I'm supposed to get done. <laughs> so, And it doesn't change anything in terms of the amount of, the amount of content that I'm producing. So hopefully that makes it a little more easier, more easier. That's not even a proper language. It makes it more easy to keep up with when the show's on. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday mornings at 10, and then Wednesday nights at 9. So expect to see that. Uh, let's see, that'd be probably like the second week in January, I guess, is when I'd start coming back, whenever my kids go back to school, whenever that is. Uh, so that's that. I made an error on a previous podcast I want to make a correction to. I talked about, uh, there was a question posed by someone I can't remember, and they asked about how to identify micronutrient deficiencies or iron deficiency in calcareous soils. And I mentioned on there to, what I would do is I would just spray a small area with uh, just that element. And I mentioned two square meters, but I don't, I never, two square meters doesn't make any sense. I spray an area that's two meters by two meters, which is four square meters. So I caught that on a, when I was listening to it back again, I was like, oh, that's not right. So I wanted to make sure that was clear. I do use a, um, one second, sorry. I do, or I did use a small little one gallon pump up sprayer and I would just spray a little two meter by two meter uh, section 
with, say, phosphoric acid or potassium sulfate or whatever I can melt, whatever I melted down, whatever element I was looking to see if it would cause a response or if it was deficient in an element, that's what I would use. But it's four square meters. You can do it with one square meter or whatever, but you just need to know the area that you're spraying it on so that you spray the appropriate amount on there, given the concentration in the, in the one gallon jug and so forth. Anyway, so anyway, so looking at the chat, good morning or good afternoon, good evening, uh, Super TA. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. I, I appreciate you you watching. He says I, he appreciates my content. Thank you very much. We'll see who calls in. I don't know. We'll see if I can even get it to work. <laughs> maybe no one calls in. Who knows? Or maybe everybody tries to call in and I can't get them on. We'll, we'll figure it out. I don't know. John P., I don't recognize that initially, but welcome. If you've been here before, I apologize if I don't recognize your, your handle there. Aldo, good evening. <laughs> so, um, Super TA says, finally, a stream you can take to the bank. That money I will save from this point moving forward. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of my work when I was in um, academia was centered or balanced on two principles, and that was agronomic and economic efficiency. So within agronomic efficiency is environmental risk. So. I wanted it to work. I wanted to make sure the, the 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 product would work or perform as claimed or whatever the case might be. But I also had to balance that, or I felt I should balance that with the economic cost and the environmental cost and so forth. And that, that happens all the time in ag. There's publications all over creation in ag with the cost per acre. And oftentimes in turf, you'll see that in herbicide application or sorry pesticide applications it's fifty dollars an acre or sixty dollars an acre for this product but it doesn't really seem to to bleed over into like nutrient applications i don't know why it's not very common to hear that in the literature it costs you know ten dollars an acre to apply whatever element you know so when you're saying you're saving money or whatever the case might be I, that's one thing that i really focused on was yeah i can get the, the turf grass to turn green with product A and I can get the product to turn equally green with product B product A costs, you know, whatever the case is, $20 a bag product B costs $400 a bag. Well, <laughs> it's a pretty easy decision, but if we don't communicate it and we don't let people know, I can, I can let them know agronomically until I'm blue in the face. Yeah, this works or whatever, but why would you spend that much money on it? You can get the same response doing product A. So a lot of what I did was centered around that. So I guess that kind of, you can see that in a lot of the research that I published over the years, I think. And even this channel, I think, I think I, at least I try to have that as a focal point as the cost. Oh yeah, Aldo just saw my haircut. I mentioned it on the last podcast. Don't say anything about the barber. <laughs> you have to go back and watch the last podcast to know know about that. Okay, so here's what I'm going to try to do here. I, I don't even know if this is going to work, but I'm going to give it a shot. 
I'm going to go back and read a couple of the emails and I've redacted a lot of the content to keep the person who wrote it anonymous. Not that there's anything particularly private or concerning in the email. It's just that I don't think that the person particularly, you know, they didn't give me authorization to just blast it out. So, and then I'm going to go over some comments that are all public information and just kind of read through them. 99% of the stuff that I get is all very positive. There's only been one or two emails and comments that are, you know, not positive. <laughs> so, um, I just wanted to go through that and kind of show everybody and let, let everybody who might be here as regulars and, um, kind of show them some love. And if you're new and you're interested in commenting and participating in the community, then you might get mentioned who knows. But while I'm doing that, I'm only a one man show here. So while I'm doing that, I'm going to post a phone number and see how it goes. I'm not a hundred percent sure it's going to work, but all I can do is give it a shot. And if you want to know what the phone number is, all you got to do is go into the description of this video and it's there. But if you don't want to do that, then you can check the screen out. There's about a 10 or 15 second delay. So when you call the number, when you hear me say something to you on the phone, turn off the audio on your computer and listen to me on the phone because you're not going to be able to keep up with me on the computer because you're, you're, I'm 15 seconds ahead of you. But if you hang up or just not just close the audio on your computer, then you and I can speak real time on the phone. But you can try that phone number. It's 859-444-4234. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> and it'll just be me. <laughs> um, so when it's so like I said, if you do call, then just mention your name or whatever name you want me to use and where you're from. And then um, you can ask a question. You can make a comment so we can have a conversation or not. But in the meantime, I will go to the, I will try to go to the comment screen that I had up. I'm not sure I can do all this at once guys, but I will try Let's see what happens when I click this button. Okay. So I get a lot of nice comments and I wanted to go over these. And if you happen, if you happen to call in, then just kind of hang out and listen to me until I get through this email. I got an email. I get, I get emails once a week or so, not too many. And some of them are very nice. Many of them, most of them are very nice. And so I wanted to go through this email because I just thought it was so nice and it's really makes a big difference to me to hear that this, this channel is having a positive impact. And I wanted to share that with you and the email, I'll leave all the names and stuff out of it as best I can it says, dear Dr. Shaddix, including turfgrass research. I'm now I've redacted the entire first paragraph, so you can't see what he wrote and no, no offense, but I just didn't want to say anything or do anything that would violate any confidentiality with him or trust with me. Including turfgrass research, I'm now really adept at one thing, taking information with a grain of potassium chloride. And that's where your channel came in. 
It really fills a hole in the current lawn care YouTube world and is exactly what I've been looking for. I first heard of you as a guest on The Grass Factor. I usually just listen to Burn and Return, but hardly ever listen to their guest shows. And then noticed several months ago that you started your own channel. Lots of interesting stuff here being talked about, especially enjoying you hearing here enjoying hearing you discuss the cool season turf grass nitrogen studies keep up the work yeah i did a whole month on fall fertility of cool season grasses i have a question for you you mentioned formulating a, or deconstructing fertilizer analysis labels in one of your more recent podcasts i was wondering if you had plans to eventually do an in-depth podcast series on how to do this eventually working your way up to very complex labels with multiple sources of nitrogen including synthetic and organic combination products etc those are some of the harder labels to figure out, and often I wish the labeling were itemized in a more detailed fashion that what, than what is currently required by law. I'm going to come back to this after I finish the email. One of the hardest labels for me to try to figure out was now the defunct Anuvia, 1612, Green Trek, 1602, and so forth. Um, another tough product to figure out would be something with an organic source or sources like feather mill, plus a, plus a slow-release urea like methylene urea such as Sustain 10-210. They lump all the insoluble organics in with the methylene urea label, and I'm trying to figure out how much of, their, of each there is. It helps that the manufacturer lists the amount of carbon in the product, but it's still a bit hazy to me how to figure it all out easily. I was trying to go by the amount of phosphorus in the, in the reference and comparing it to another Sustain product to determine how much there was organic base versus synthetic in sources. One of the other things I wanted to ask about was you mentioned there was a proper technique for hand applying fertilizer to small areas such as plots i have a few small areas i like that i wonder what the proper technique is and how to practice it so as not to get an even coverage if you plan to explain it or even demonstrate it on a video someday i think that is another thing that would be helpful to the people helpful to people and that is hardly ever talked about in the lawn care world a long email but wanted to say thank you for doing what you're doing that explanations of the studies as well as the ability to discuss studies that exist in the database that many of us do not have access to is very very helpful and fun to listen to yeah thank you very much for for the email whoever sent that email and um well i know who sent the email but um thank you for that i uh i, I want to go back to the to the beginning of it and you know talk about a little bit or try to answer his questions a little bit here whenever you're reformulating a fertilizer or trying to figure out what all's in it based upon the label it's not always possible with what i refer to as multi-nutrient raw materials and that's generally natural organics so natural organics contain nitrogen phosphorus and iron and everything else and they're all sort of in one homogenous granule and it's not easy to reformulate that it's whenever well you don't have to reformulate it if it's just that but if that's in the blend plus urea plus sulfur coated urea plus potassium chloride plus iron sulfate it's not always you can it's not always possible to completely reformulate it to the t if it has natural organics in it or multi-nutrient raw materials in it that you don't necessarily know exactly what the percentage of the element is in the raw material so it's not always possible okay i haven't really been an expert in formulation in many years i mean i still do it but not like not as good as i used to do it and even, but even back then when i was really good at it i i couldn't do it with any every fertilizer it's just not possible okay but the question really is will i show how to do it or explain how to do it um yeah i'll be happy to do that um I think it is important to know how to 
reform or formulate a fertilizer, reformulate a fertilizer, understand what components of the fertilizer are in there, how much of it is in there and so forth. Okay. And I've got, I've mentioned that a few times, um, in the past when it contains multiple iron sources, some of them are chelated. Some of them aren't, some of them have two or three chelates in there. Some of them have none, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. You can, I don't know exactly how much of one specific chelate was used. If there's two chelates in there, it's not, it's not required by law to label it, but the basics of formulation can still be taught to a degree that I think would be helpful to the consumer. I do this every couple of years or so. I've done it two or three times at the GIS, the big golf industry show. I think I did it once for the new England golf course superintendents. I can't remember. It's been a while. Um, so I do have all that content and all those resources available in terms of PowerPoint presentations and exercises. And we go over, we have like four or five exercises where we have quizzes and, you know, we really, you know, work on it and work on it. And, you know, you might not be able to walk away and do anything you want, but you at least understand the basics of it. And so I might do that. Of course, I'll do that with you on your own. Anytime, if you want to do any consult consultation with me through, um, my calendly.com stuff. So calendly.com slash Travis addicts. If you set up a meeting with me, then I'll, sit down and I'll reformulate whatever you want on your, on your fertilizer tag, if that's what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I plan on doing that. So we'll see when it happens, but I, yeah, I do plan on at some point doing that. Okay. The next question you had was he, this, this email said, um, where is it? Oh, the proper technique of applying fertilizers in small areas. So I don't know. If, I don't really remember mentioning that. I don't. Re, I mean, who? I I don't remember what I did yesterday. Sometimes, but I don't. Re, so I, I probably did mention it. I just don't remember it. I don't remember exactly mentioning or what context I mentioned that in. I would say that the techniques, the technique that I do, it, it's not. It's not rocket science. It's not like it's some secret. I I, I don't use a shaker box anymore. I, it's too much work, and it really doesn't really provide that much more uniformity. In, in the end of the day than me doing it by hand. But I will say that like new graduate students come in, any professor who's had grad students come in and they're putting out products and treatments by hand knows, knows that if you're using granular nitrogen or your spray, well, spray wouldn't work, but you're using granular nitrogen. You can really tell the new graduate students from the old graduate students because the new graduate students are typically streaked up pretty bad, kind of splotchy because they haven't quite got the technique down. Right. And the older graduate students tend to be a little bit more uniform when the turf starts to respond to that nitrogen. So nitrogen doesn't lie. You know, it, it tells the professor, you know, Hey, this graduate student's coming along and they, they got the technique down versus the new, the, the, the rookies. So, um, but I don't really know how to explain the technique, but it's usually try, trying to let the fertilizer fall out of my hands in a very, um, uh, um, not a heavy way, a light way and going over the plot two or three different directions as best I can, such that when I'm done on the third or usually two directions done on the third direction, I don't have anything left in my hands. And I try to hit the corners and the edges because the corners and the edges usually are what gets missed. And that's usually what you see with new graduate students is they'll do the centers and then the corners and the edges, it kind of, it kind of blends in and doesn't seem like mud or it kind of curves in it doesn't seem like much but where it, if it's curved in and that one pot did, that one part didn't get any fertilizer that means the other parts that did get fertilizer got a higher rate than what was what was intended so anyway i don't really remember mentioning that but i mean 
I don't intend to show a video on it, but I, 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 I guess if, if you want to know more about it, I suppose I, I can go into more detail with it, but it's just more experience than anything. I mean, I've been doing this for decades, so I screwed up for the first two or three years. I cook pizzas a lot. And the first three or four years I cooked pizzas, I was doing it wrong. I was horrible. It took me, it took me five years to figure out how to make it right, a pizza correctly. Now I do it without even thinking. So it's the same thing with putting out fertilizer. Sorry, something got my nose is itching. Sorry. Um, it just, it took me several years to get the technique down right. And now that the technique's down right, I do it without thinking. But the, you can tell when the new graduates come in, they need to learn. And just like me, I, I had to learn when I was a new graduate student. So, but it just, it's more experience than anything. Experience and feel than it is anything else. Um, okay, let's go to the next, uh, the next email. So the next email says, Dr. Shaddix, I wanted to reach out to you to say you've been a breath of fresh air by posting your videos on YouTube. I've been watching and learning since you started on YouTube. I am redacted and you might have seen some of my comments on your videos. I don't usually comment on live streams, but have sometimes commented after, after on these videos. Uh, I redacted a whole bunch of information here. I've always been fascinated with lawns. I worked for blank company as a field tech. I redacted a bunch of information here. While I was there and saw how this industry really works and also was shocked by some of the things that I saw, there are two things in particular that always bothered me. That was dishonesty. First thing was that we were not using all the blank company's products to treat the lawns. We were a franchise on blank or in blank location. And at the time only blank company and blank company were the main players. The bosses would make sure that the bags were not visible to the customers when applying back, when applying back then only granular products were used for fertilizing pre-emergence and insects and fungus control. We control was liquid and we would use a variety of products but was watered down to prevent burning the lawn and to make the, make the product last. The other thing we had to do during the winter months was sell our services on the phone. A bunch of stuff redacted here. I always hated that because I did not like to BS these people into believing that we were offering, believing what we were offering. And then I redacted some more. My lawn became a hobby blank. I started watching YouTube and there were only a few guys doing it back then. Even with some of the experience and knowledge I had acquired, I would always re reach research how to care for a lawn. I would read articles from a local extension in blank. Somebody was very interesting to follow. My mistake was not just following him, but to follow the YouTube guys as well and fell into that trap. I would try all the products that were offered as well as reaching out to some of them for advice. It took a few years of trying different products and equipment and plenty of unnecessary money spent trying to achieve the perfect lawn. The fact that you have started your channel and to educate people is truly heaven sent. No, it's not life and death, but no, knowing the truth about something helps make proper decisions. I commend you. I can, I commend you on your work, knowledge and sharing your experience with the public. Hope your channel continues to grow and wish you and your family a healthy, prosperous Christmas and New Year. Keep up the great work. So this particular gentleman, I wonder how many people have a similar experience as this particular guy where you started watching YouTube videos or you maybe started off trying to just figure out really what was true, right? What actually was happening and what, what, what you really should be doing. 
and you ended up probably maybe on the right path, but um, kind of got stuck into a YouTube <laughs> vortex. <laughs> you got stuck in the YouTube, you know, algorithm vortex of people putting out content just for the sake of putting out content and making a couple bucks on, you know, a video that goes viral, regardless of whether the content in the video was actually true or not. And like I've said before, you, you get, you hear the same thing over and over again. And eventually you're like, well, it must be true. So many people are doing it, right? There's a lot of people doing this. It must work. It must be true. And you know, it just, it's an easy trap to fall into. It really is. It's not, um, I mean, I'm new to YouTube. I haven't watched YouTube near as much as you all have, I'm sure. But I, uh, there's a huge pile of excrement, you know, that is hard to, to work your way through. And they're, they're in there. There can be some truth. That's the hard part is that mo there's some truth in there somewhere, probably. But to, f to find your way through all that nonsense is not easy. And... I mean, I don't know if there, maybe there's somebody else doing what I do. I don't, I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm new to it. I'm not real knowledgeable on everybody that's on YouTube, but I don't know of many, you know, professors who spend their time doing what I do. And so there's probably not a lot of evidence-based information on YouTube relative to the other the amount of misinformation, you know? So I'm, I'm one, I, I, I bet there's, it's probably a similar story to many of you where, hey, you know what? I just wanted to learn more about it. And I started, I looked at some extension bulletins and I wanted to learn more and I went to YouTube and I learned how to change my spark plug on YouTube. So I want to learn how to take care of my lawn on YouTube and so forth. And, you know, you end up kind of getting caught in this vortex of misinformation and you almost, you almost believe it's true, you know? Um, I'll, I'll just say that... <laughs> The more every every now and then I fall into this the trap of I think I kind of got it figured out. I, I think I kind of got this area sort of figured out. And then inevitably almost well, every time, every time without exception, somebody goes, Well, you didn't see this guy's publication, or you didn't read that publication, or did you see his new his new publication on, you know, weed control with ferrous sulfate or whatever? And I'm like, oh man, you know, and I didn't, I thought I had it figured out and I didn't. And so, you know, the Dunning-Kruger effect is real. I mean, you learn a little bit, you, you gain a little bit of competency and your confidence skyrockets. And I'll just say this, the, the most knowledgeable intellectual people that I know, soul mineralogists, I can think of one specifically who's now retired from UF unbelievably intelligent, successful soil mineralogist didn't have heart, had no confidence. I'd come to him and ask him questions. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think maybe that might be it. He was right. He was right every time, but he was never really sure, you know, and he was one of the brightest soil mineralogists 40 years in academia. And he was not really ever that confident, you know? So it seems to me that the people that I'm familiar with and, and, you know, knock ideas off in the academic world, 
I don't know of many that are so bold that they would say they know the system and they know exactly what's going on. I mean, most of them aren't that way at all. Most of them are like, eh, I don't know, maybe that's probably what's going on. I think I kind of have an idea. But then you go to YouTube and it's like, yep, do this. This is what's happening. You know, do spray out iron sulfate, spread out iron sulfate, you know, spread out organic materials in the middle of winter when your grass can't take it up. And this will work. And they just say it, you know, because there's nothing stopping them. And I'm just saying, you know, for me, this is Turkress epistemology. How do we know that? How do we know what we know? I don't have hardly any confidence in things that I hear on YouTube about turf grass. The confidence I gain is from spending my time in the library, not spending it on YouTube. I spend my time reading books, reading articles, writing articles, not, not listening to somebody that wants to make, you know, two, $300 on a video on YouTube because they want to you know, spray something on their lawn and say, look what I, you know, look what I found or whatever they might, what they have might be true. Could be true. Could not be true, but it's just an observation. And, I, and that that's not, that doesn't convince me even one iota, not even the slightest. It doesn't convince me at all what these sayings true or false. And, and keep in mind, it could be true. I'm not saying it's not, I'm just saying it doesn't convince me at all. And so I spend my time reading articles I mean, the shelf behind me is full of books that have bookmarks in them for the last 20 years because I, they don't collect dust. I had a soil chemistry book on my floor upstairs last night when I was reading. I mean, it just, you know, and I, I get it. I'm not normal. Not everybody's going to do that. But but that that's how I become confident on what is actually true or not. And And so when that guy wrote the email, this gentleman wrote this email and said, hey, this is how I started and this is where I ended up. And thanks for your, thanks for your efforts. It really, it really gets to me because, um, the person is really being sincere. And I, I think he realizes that he kind of went off and he kind of took a wrong turn following YouTube and he's kind of down that vortex a little bit. And maybe I'm helping redirect him back on the, on the path. And if that's, even if I do that a, a little bit with one person, then that really makes my day. And I really appreciate that. So I appreciate him sending that email. Um, let's go to the next, now we're going to go, there's, that's all the emails, by the way, we're going to go to, um, comments. These are pretty quick, actually. And if I have time, I'll go over an article at the end. No problem. Josiah Thornton writes, my God, where, where have you been? I, I copy and paste all this, but I forgot what kind of what half of them said. My God, where have you been all my turf grass years? I love turf grass. I wanted to understand how to, how to care for it in a responsible and profitable way. I've watched may, I have watched many, oh, just some typos when he was writing in, in YouTube. Sorry. I have watched many people on YouTube and even reached out to some seeking greater understanding, looking for the very insight that you are providing. Thank you so much for being here. For those of us who discovered our love of turf grass late in life and didn't go to university to study, I'll be joining one of one or all of your societies that you have mentioned and will be on, and will be on your calendar for consultation really soon. Just need to need to organize my problems and concerns. Yeah. Thanks, Josiah. I appreciate you, you making that comment. It is, um, it is, uh, nice to hear. I mean, it's just, it's just really nice to hear that people think that way or feel that way, but then take the time to actually write a positive comment. People want to watch news because it's shock factor and it's all negative and all this stuff. And it's why, and people keep their attention drawn to it, but positive kind words are, you know, 
it's not, people aren't going to be gravitated to that a lot. Oh, let's let's look at how nice you know my neighbor spending time on the school board developing better you know curriculums for our school students. Let's go talk about that. No, they want to talk about you know something more you know exciting or whatever. And, and but to, so to take the time to to write something that kind to me. It just really goes a long way for me. So thanks, Josiah. I appreciate that. Next comment from Striper Man. This has turned up to be my favorite favorite channel. Do you have any bodyguards surrounding you for exposing the truth about lawn care? Um, I'll, I do not, do not. That's, I know it's, that's tongue in cheek. I understand that. But I will say that um, there's been an email or two that has been saved um, to be used if it ever needs to be used by the proper authorities. So I'll leave it at that. Gardener Earth Guy. This is great. I hear snow mold mentioned in many videos. I would say I would see gray snow mold around Seattle, mainly on high hills above 1,500 feet with acidic soil. Over the seasons, I had a suspicion that soil pH was a, a larger causal agent for disease. Have you heard of any studies looking this angle or personal experience? So the reason I put this in here from Gardener Earth Guy is because um, oftentimes I've seen this happen a lot before I was even in academia and when I was in academia, since I've been out is that oftentimes faculty in turf. Okay. And specifically in turf grass faculty are sometimes a one man show or one woman show. They don't have weed biologists and entomologists and pathologists and breeders and soil fertility specialists. They don't have one of every one usually. It's a lot of times it's just one or two. And when they get asked a question like this, they'll try to answer it. When I, in my opinion, I don't think that does us any justice unless you are a specialist in pathology, turf pathology and soil pH or whatever. I'm not a pathologist. Do I know about diseases and these things? Yes. I have a general idea about that. But when it comes from me, if I say, yep, I've heard of this and pH affects gray snow mold and you should do this, then people are going to believe it because it comes from me. They're, na they're naturally inclined to believe it because they see me as an authority. Well, that's a flaw in reasoning. That's a fallacy. Okay. That's an appeal to authority. So if I am an expert on that topic and I say, this is what I would do based upon this evidence, then that's different, but I'm not a specialist in pathology. And so when I see other, other faculty answer questions on soil fertility, when they're a plant physiologist, I cringe a little bit. I'm like, you know, I don't think that's helping us. I think it would be best to say, you know, I'm not a soil fertility specialist, but I know who is. I'm not a pathologist, but I can get an answer because I know who is. I, I can email the pathologists in five minutes and get an answer the next day, probably sooner than that. I'm not an entomologist. I don't, I'm not a nematologist, but I know a really, really good nematologist and I can get him on the phone or I can, I can get him on an email. I really think that it'd be better for our industry if we, you know, did that. You don't see cardiologists answering questions on periodontology just because they're a medical doctor. They're going to go, no, I'm not a, I'm not a periodontologist. You don't see orthodontologists answering questions on periodontology. You know, so, you know, remain in your lane, I guess is what I'm saying. If you're a faculty or specialist, I do, I do think that would be better for our industry as a whole. I know if you're a one man show, you got to kind of do what it is, but 
even if you're a one man show, it, well, I was a one man show here at UK for the last year when, when Dr. Uh, um, um, Munchall moved on, I was only person here and I would get questions on p diseases and stuff. I was like, I don't know, but I know a disease expert and I would call them. I would take the time to figure it out and then I would come back to them or I would just connect them two together. Right. So I'm not saying I'm right and everybody's wrong. I'm just saying that I, I, I prefer that method. So thanks Gardner earth guy, but I can't answer that question. <laughs> I'm not a pathologist. All right. Money B 22 says, what are your thoughts on a pretty common store bought product like green max from Scott's 2702, uh, derived from ammonium sulfate, methylene ureas, urea, potassium sulfate, and iron sucrate contains 6.38 slowly available nitrogen for methylene ureas. I use it and like it and like it, but really interested to get your thoughts considering it's a widely available product and love your videos to try to understand application necessity better. Visual response is one aspect, but like to have an understanding on causation, which your videos have been great at when it comes to being mindful, mindful of all variables involved. From a granular approach, I've used GreenMax or Pennington 22011 containing 50% Uflex, whatever that is. <laughs> okay, I can explain Uflex if you want. And 3% iron. Then just, then just, I don't know, there's a typo there, just something with other options to test out occasionally. And then I replied back to that and I said, if I applied one pound per thousand square feet, the product will likely result in an acceptable response, but that is due to the nitrogen. The other components, potassium and iron are not likely beneficial. I will show in a future video that iron sucrate is very unlikely to ever be beneficial to turf grass. With regards to the methylene ureas, they will also result in an acceptable turf grass response, albeit much more expensive than urea, ammonium sulfate and sulfur coated urea. So they're at, he's asking basically, what do I think about this product? And you have to keep in, in mind guys, any product that contains nitrogen that is either inorganic or either either inorganic like a soluble form of nitrogen like urea or ammonium nitrate, ammonium sulfate or calcium nitrate or whatever, or an organic or slowly released form. In other words, it's a nitrogen form that will break down at some point. If it contains that and it's applied at the proper rate for that product, it's probably going to result in acceptable turf grass. I mean, I've done a lot of freaking work with this stuff. And I don't think I've ever used a nitrogen product that didn't result in an acceptable turf grass. The question is, how much does that cost to result in that, ex that response? And I'm going to go over that. I, I, I don't know if nitrogen is going to be the next top. It wasn't going to be. I was going to go for potassium next. But, but I guess I can go over nitrogen if that's what you guys feel like you want to hear in, ter in terms of knowing how to blend things properly and, to, and do it in a way that provides you with the best agronomic odds of seeing a response for the least amount of money. Anyway, he says, really appreciate it. It will definitely look forward to the next video. Loved when you did the shorts too. And on key, par key parts of the videos too. great hook to get a full breakdown. Would be cool to get your breakdown in the most efficient or useful for options. Any average Joe could pick up at home Depot or on the web, like based on your analysis of which products are feet or feet com feed companies tend to be the most trusted when it comes to quality products. Keep up the solid work. So that came from uh, money B 22. So thanks money B for that, that comment. It, it kind of gets me thinking about nitrogen. Uflex is a product that's added in there to reduce gaseous loss, basically of nitrogen. I'm not going to go into the whole, whether it's volatilization or urease, you know, urease inhibitor or nitrification inhibitor. I'll just call it gaseous loss. If you want to call it that. I had a conversation today on the phone. In fact, let me go back to me. I had a conversation today on the phone with a gentleman who asked about that exact question. You know, what's the difference between applying granular versus foliar urea when you have say a Umax in it or not. And 
I, I told him, I don't know, I can't think of a literature, of a article off the top of my head that directly compared that. Although I'm sure it exists. I just got to go look it up. But what I told him was, and this gentleman's asking containing 50% Uflex. What I told him was that the urease inhibitors and nitrification inhibitors like MBPT and there's some other, other urease inhibitors that are intended to reduce gaseous loss like volatilization. Generally speaking, those compounds, let's just take Umax. So it's urea that's been sprayed with this additive. Generally speaking, when those things are applied as a granular, you're going to have, when your urea is applied, let's, let's just say you're going to get 40% volatilization. I'm just pulling that out of thin air. You're going to get 40% volatilization on, say, pH, you know, eight or something of a soil. If you applied that same amount with Umax, that 40% volatilization might be reduced by half. So you might only get 20% volatilization from that Umax. Okay. So those products do reduce gaseous loss. That's pretty clear in the literature. But what is also equally clear in the literature is that the turf grass response to those sources don't differ that much from urea, even if there is gaseous loss of nitrogen from urea. And the cost of those products like Umax might be $1,300 a ton, $1,200 a ton, whatever. I don't know what it is now. You know, eight years ago, it was $1,100 a ton and urea was $600 a ton. So roughly you're going to, you're not going to double the cost of urea, but you're going to come close to it. I mean, might, let's say urea is $800 a ton. You might be $1,300 a ton, $1,400 a ton for Umax. I don't know. We have to go look it up. Someone can look it up and post it in the chat. But, um, the point is you're going to pay a lot more for that Umax. You're not going to pay 5% more or 10% more. You're going to pay a lot more and you're not, I haven't seen in the literature, nor have I seen in my own research, which I have published. I have not seen a concomitant increase in quality or growth from the Umax and the gaseous law, the additive type products, nitrogen enhanced products that reduced gaseous loss. They will reduce gaseous loss, but I have not seen it actually result in a concomitant increase in turf response. Okay. So that'd be my take on that. Now, in terms of like green max and all these other products and iron sucrate and all the, I've gone over the iron stuff. So I wouldn't apply any granular iron, full stop, period. I don't care if it's chelated or not. I wouldn't apply it. Um, it's just the chances of seeing the response are so low compared to foliar applied iron that it's, to me, it's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. You might get a response 5% of the time from granular iron if it's chelated, 5 10% of the time, kind of depending on the situation and the rate and so forth. I mean, if it's severely iron chlorotic turf grass, you might see a response to granular iron chelate, maybe. Um, so let's let's just say ten percent of the time, maybe you might see a response to response to granular iron, and that's being generous. Well, on the flip side, applying it as a liquid, you would see a response ninety percent of the time or more. So, and you would do it with most likely less money. So, to me, I don't see much value in applying granular iron of any source because I can get the same response for much less money applying it as a foliar. But that's just my take. Let's go back to the, the chat or the, uh, the comments. This comes from the neighbor dominator. How is mixing good bacteria with fungicide to fight off fungus misleading or in, in dangerous? <laughs> I don't recall ever saying that. 
I don't recall ever saying mixing good bacteria. What I don't even know what you mean by good bacteria with fungicide to fight off fungus, misleading and dangerous. If I said that, I, I don't recall it. But my response was, I consider any information that is not supported by evidence to be potentially misleading and dangerous if it may result in economic or in environmental inefficiencies. You could just say in economic or environmental harm. So I don't know what he, what was what his issue with neighbor dominator was. I can't remember, but um, that might have been the guy who I was talking about. He was he was talking about adding a bunch of bacteria and fungus or microbes or something to the soil, and and um, maybe he was a little bit annoyed by by my video. I don't know, but when you go when you start adding microbes to the soil. I don't know what a, well, I have listened to a soil microbiologist. He was from Texas A&M. Wonderful. He was, he gave the best talk on soil microbiology. One of the most boring topics I could think of to me. And man, I was fascinated. I was just like laser focused on this guy. He was so good at what he, what he did. He came and talked one time at a golf meeting down in South Florida. He was from A&M. I remember that. It was really good. And so I, I can't read his mind. I don't know soil microbiologist. I don't know what they'd say, but the few times I've heard them talk, they seem to like just be perplexed why anybody would apply any microbes to the soil. <laughs> it's like, and I mentioned that in the video because in a, in a teaspoon, even less than a teaspoon, there's more than a trillion microbes, 10,000, a minimum thousands, thousands of species of microbes in a teaspoon of soil. And, and this guy was adding 30 or 40 microbes and thinking he was going to do something. So again, I'm not a microbiologist. I'm sure if there's one listening, they can make their own comments and you know, whatever they say, if they're specialists, then I'll, I would take them before they t you take their input more than, or before I take my input on a soil microbiology. But I've heard a few of them talking. and I get the impression that they're just wondering what is going on. Why are you guys doing this? <laughs> because there's so many out there already. The environment for the microbes that are existing in the soil is obviously conducive to their growth. You're going to go add in more microbes that are probably mostly dead before you apply them. And then you're going to apply it to an environment that might not be conducive for their growth. So who knows how many die after that. And, and what's the purpose? The purpose is to increase the quality of the turf or increase, you know, nutrient use efficiency or whatever. You know, and you don't, you just don't see that, you know? So that's my take on that, that comment. Thank you for the comment though. It, it was the neighbor dominator. Thank you for the comment. Let's go back to the comments. Valerio Merley. He's our, I think he's our Italian friend. Oh, well, here it is in Italy. In Italy, marketing promote, marketing promotes organic fertilizers for lawn management. Also, someone like the man recommended fall, it must have been about the video, recommend fall organic fertilization, maybe because elements from organic matter are more available in the soil. Others try to promote soil microbiome with organic fertilizer. Many products are on the market, humic, fulvic acid, seaweed, amino acids, and other biostimulants. PGR, mycorrhizal are also, are also other topics. I tried to study a little of these, this stuff, but the argument is quite complex. I read Michael Woods on his blog, Asian turf grass, MLSN, et cetera. So I trust in the simplicity of the turf fertilization, like Frank Rossi said, but I'd like to know what you think through the scientific articles about all these topics. Thanks for your videos. I like very much your scientific approach. Yes. Thank you. Thanks Valerio. I appreciate the, the comments. Uh, so my, my, he wants to know my take on all this other stuff. And I've mentioned it before in, in a more vague or broad sense. And that is, um, I'm not a fan of 
doing anything without a good reason. And I'm definitely not a fan of doing anything, even if you do have a good reason, before you've established the fundamentals of agronomy in your program. So water, light, temperature, pest control, and then we can start getting on this, all this other stuff. You know, the, the basic nitrogen application should be there as well. And if you want to go in there and throw in all this other stuff and spend your money on all these other things, you know, it's your money. I wouldn't do it. But he basically wants to know what I want to, want to think about all this other stuff, fulvic acids and seaweed and stuff like that. And there's quite a bit of literature on those compounds. And I will go over those. So Valerio, I will, that is a topic that I have on the list. But as I am going over a topic a month, you can do the math real quick and figure out it might be a few months before I go to that topic. Right now I'm going to try to go over the, some of the other elements that might be used for blending for those people that might be blending their next year's fertilizer. All right, next comment. Wayne, Wayne Esser 7489. It was excellent when Dr. Sidhu explained so clearly that we could that we could keep up. Yes. Dr. Sidhu, that was that was a that was a a, a video that that surprised me. I don't know um Sudeep. I don't know him. I've never met him. And he was the last, the last, if you haven't listened to that, he was talking about thatch and uh, lignin, lignin and explaining why it is difficult to break lignin down and so forth. And I don't, I don't know him. I've never met him. And, and he was the last author I've had on um, know, a couple of weeks ago. And I was also very happy with the way he explained it. I, I thought he did a very good job. And based upon the comments that I got from that video, I think a lot of people found that that episode very useful. He really explained why it is specifically what it is about lignin that makes it so difficult to break down and why we need to focus on that to manage thatch rather than cellulose and, you know, all these other hemicellulose compounds. And so, yeah, thanks Wayne for mentioning that. That was, um, I thought that was a, I learned a lot from him as well. I, I really thought, you know, I don't know what I thought going into that, 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 that night or that day, whatever it was, I just didn't, I didn't expect him to be so well-spoken and easy to understand. I don't know why I thought that I just, it, the topic is complicated, but he was very good at it. I really appreciated him coming on and I appreciate you making that comment, Wayne. Let's go back. Striper man. This was great. Funny how all the fertilizer companies have been adding granular iron to their products, especially the last few years when it becomes more popular to do so. We've been duped into thinking that this will make a difference. Thank you for these videos. It's been an eye opener for sure. On to the next video so my eyes can be open even wider. Yeah, thanks, Striper Man. The, um, the idea that you can, and I have, a, I have a product at the end, maybe we can go through if you want to, if we have time. The idea that you can bump up iron so high in a fertilizer that it would convince someone to to buy it is it probably works in terms of convincing people to buy it but i'm also convinced that the people doing that know exactly what they're doing i'm i'm pretty certain that they know what they're doing they know that iron oxide is not going to result in a response they know the iron sucrate is not going to result in a response they're just trying to bump that fertilizer, that iron percentage up high enough to convince someone that it will. And so, you know, 
if you don't know, you can get taken advantage of, you know, knowledge is king, you know, do you, you know, it just, you gotta do your homework, buyer beware, you know, the, these people who you think are your friends and these salesmen and whoever else is, you know, helping you out, they may be your friend. They may be helping you out, but they don't know. I, 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 I don't think they, they have a solid grasp. I know they don't have a solid grasp of buying cause I don't think anybody does. But I, I think they know that that iron oxide is not doing anything. They don't care. I just don't think they care. But hopefully the videos we've been going over are, are helping you guys out. Next comment. Ken-QQ7WQ. I hope this isn't some acronym that I shouldn't be saying. I don't know what that stands for. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I know you said you had more. I, I know you said no more thatch. Is there anything on burning it off during dormancy, AKA burn and return? And I put, I'm not, I'm not aware of literature on using prescribed burns for pasture management. Oh, I am aware for pasture management, but I do not know of much literature on turf grass thatch. Yeah. So it's, I want I put this in here because I wanted to mention it. Uh, thanks Ken for, for putting that comment in there. Um, I just put that there because I, I wanted, it, it, I wanted to use that as an example of something that makes sense. It's an availability heuristic, right? So you're like, well, it makes sense. Burn it off. It's the first thing that comes to mind. Just burn it, you know, and get it off there. It, it may be true, but I don't, I don't know. And you're not, you're going to be hard pressed to find something in the literature that shows burn. I, th I think Dr. Richardson did some work with burning, I think, but I couldn't find anything in the literature. So just because it makes sense and it's the first thing that kind of comes to your mind, I just wanted to use that as an example. That does not mean that it's true or you should do it. We would, you know, like I said, even with the iron, even with whatever, let's just do our due diligence. Ask a question like Ken's asking. I don't know of anything in literature. I do know of pasture management that, but before we just get into it, because it makes sense, no matter how much you think it makes sense, that's, it might work, but your, your rationale, your epistemol your epistemological approach was flawed. You said, well, it makes sense. So we'll just do it. Well, no, no, because then the next time something comes up, you might use that same approach. You're right. We don't, that it's, it's the methodology. It's the, it's the, it's the manner in which you came to that conclusion that I'm most interested in. I can tell you, go do this and go do that. And it's probably true based upon my knowledge, but I want to, try to see if we can get people to start critically thinking their way through it on their own and teach you how to fish rather than just give you fish. Right. All right. Next comment. Ray through 3472. I think he's in the chat tonight. Oh yeah. Well, here he is. Ray says iron and granular fertilizer, taking up a space in the bag in the bag and adding to the cost of the bag for no benefit. The Malik three extractant is capable of extracting iron from even alkaline soils. I've personally seen high iron levels in, in a Malik three test soil and iron deficiency in the turf ornamentals, no correlation between the iron levels on the test and the deficiency symptom exhibited soil pH is a better predictor of need for iron. Yeah. Thanks Ray for making that comment. I see he's in the chat right now. I'll just say this. Um, it does take up space in the bag. It doesn't provide any benefit. And the relationship between Malik 3 extractable iron and turf grass response or turf grass iron or turf grass chlorophyll or turf grass greening or anything like that is pretty weak. I've mentioned that a number of times. Uh, in the last two or three episodes, we looked at the R squared. One of them, one of them showed there was a 0.005 R squared, which means there's no relationship between the soil extractant and what was in the plant itself. So 
very difficult to do, very, very consistent in literature that uh, what is on a soil test for iron um, does not relate to what's in the plant. However, I would say that the, the last comment about soil pH is, is equally um, concerning. The concept that iron is going to become more available as pH lowers is true, but within the boundaries of normal agronomic ranges of pH for adequate plant growth, iron is going to be unavailable. doesn't matter what the pH is. It's not soluble. So until you get down to the fours and, you know, maybe mid fours, you're not going to have much iron soluble. And I'm going to show you, actually, I could have showed you. No, no, no. That's, it wasn't the one tonight. Uh, it'll be probably next Wednesday or the Wednesday after that where I apply, I'm applying iron sulfate and iron chelates and iron, all these, all these iron sources to various soils. And there was two, there were two soils. One was 5.1, one was 5.4. I don't remember. I'll, I'll go, you'll see it when I get to it. And in both those soils, the iron from sulfate became immediately insoluble within 24 hours. It was all insoluble. So even at the very, very low, and that happened at very high pHs and at very low pHs. So the point is, is that I also would not use soil pH as an indicator for available iron or soluble iron. I should say it, it is true. It will become more soluble as the pH declines. That is true. But within that range, you got to get way down there. And by the time you get to fours, you're looking at aluminum toxicities and even iron toxicities. Okay. Usually in the five, six to seven, eight, nine, whatever the pH is, is not going to be an indicator of how much iron is going to be soluble. So I, I would be, I would tread carefully by assuming that you, when you go from pH seven to say pH six, you're going to have less chlorosis because the iron in the soil is now more soluble. I'd be very, very careful about that. But thanks for the comment, Ray. I appreciate it. <clears throat> Next comment. Gray Fox 99. Oh, so Gray Fox, I think his normal handle is Gray Fox says 9911. Thanks, Dr. Shaddix. Isn't iron oxide simply rust? They're just adding rust to these products. It's very unusual that any of these YouTuber cowboys can care enough to listen to reason. <laughs> and I replied back, yes, iron oxide is a form of rust, deception, charlatanism, etc. Thanks for watching. <laughs> so iron oxide is, is, a, is a form, in my opinion, by blenders who know what they're doing and salesmen that know what they're doing. It's a form of charlatanism. It's a form of deception. They're deceiving you. They're increasing that, that iron and the tag to get that iron up to a certain concentration to convince you that it's going to be useful when they know it's not. If they, if they know it's not, then it's, they're, they're intentionally deceiving you. If they don't know it's not, then they're just ignorant. They don't know, you know, but in any case, it's not useful. It's, it's a, it's a rust. It's a form of rust. Next comment. I'll go through the chat later that you guys are chatting. I'm sorry. If you have anything for me, I'll, I'll, I'll go through it. Don't, <clears throat> I'm not ignoring anybody. I apologize. Tay Ronk 4050. That's a new one. I don't remember that handle. Love the balloon analogy. Thanks you. Thank you for doing these videos. These videos have really gotten me more interested in furthering my education. I'm a 31 year old owner and operator of my own fertilization company. Never liked the classroom type learning until I discovered turf grass. These videos are great in confirming that furthering education is in my future. Thanks again, Dr. Shaddix. That's, that's awesome. I mean, that really is Tay Ronk. I, that, that, that's your name, Tay Ronk 4050. That's really great to know that. You're more interested in, in education and watching this is watching these videos are great and confirming that further education is in your future. That's fantastic. I, I, I love that. I, I, I think I would be, I think I'd be bored if I knew everything. It, it would just be boring. It's better. It's to me, it's more exciting to realize I don't know much because I have more to learn tomorrow. 
I mean, I can learn something new tomorrow. Are you kidding me? That's great. I've been doing this for how many decades and I can still learn something new tomorrow. To me, that's exciting. So I, I, uh, I'm in that wagon. Now the balloon analogy he mentioned says he loved the balloon analogy. What I was referring to, I don't remember the video, but it's 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 an analogy that's used oftentimes in um, in physics, like um, astr- um, astronomy and phys- physics, where they'll talk about the the our amount of knowledge is is the air in a balloon, and that's the total amount of knowledge that humans possesses in this air inside this balloon. And as you breathe more air into the balloon. As you gain more knowledge, it expands. And, you know, you gain more knowledge and you breathe more air and it expands. But the perimeter of the balloon is the, ru- the rubber of the balloon is our perimeter of ignorance. And as we bl- blow more air into the balloon and we gain more knowledge, the balloon gets bigger. But so too does our, our perimeter of ignorance. We, we, we gain more and more knowledge and we become more and more ignorant. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we know more, but then the perimeter continues to grow of how much we don't know. And so that's the analogy that I, I use there for uh, what he's mentioned. Thank you, Tehran, for that comment. I appreciate it. Chad bg one by I think that's the handle. Just have to say, as an Indianapolis homeowner, your videos on these papers, along with your input and expertise, have been so very helpful. I find it very enjoyable to tune in and absorb verifiable information then apply these lessons to my own lawn. Being exposed to your videos has also helped to deprogram myself from the multitude of turf grass fallacies out there, especially on YouTube. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to share all this valuable information with us. We are all better off for it. You're, you're doing a great service and looking forward to the next video. Please keep them coming. We need all we can get from these papers and your best experience to set all the correct, set us on the correct turf grass path. God bless. Thanks Chad. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just funny when I read that because there's a there's a game that I have upstairs. It's a card game called uh, your logical fallacy. Your logical fallacy is I think is what it's called. Anyway, it's a card game and you pay, pass out the cards to whoever's playing and all you do is watch the news. And when you watch the news, the first person to catch a fallacy plays a card <laughs> and it's the card has all the different it has like forty different fallacies on it. And the first person you have a set of cards and when you see that the news commit that fallacy you play it and whoever has the fewest cards at the end wins it doesn't take long to lose your cards when you're watching the news and in youtube for sure a lot of a lot of bad reasoning flawed reasoning on youtube wayne s again 748 says over the last few years a portion of the population has decided that science is not to be trusted and instead wish to follow the words of people that share their opinions i don't understand this I know things change as more research is done and time passes. Thanks, Wayne. I appreciate that. Yeah, it, I don't know what this is about, you know, ignoring science. You know, it's been around a long time. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I mean, Bob Marley's not here for a reason. Okay. Goofball decides not to go to the hospital and the rest of society misses out on his music for the next 40 years because of his freaking toe. Or I mean, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, it's been around for a long time where people ignore science. But it seems like you know, it does, it's getting worse. It seems like, I mean, I wonder if they'd have the same approach if their daughter had God forbid cancer or something, they went in and the doctor said, Hey, you need to do this. And what would they do? Say, no, I want to do this instead. I heard somebody on YouTube say they you should, you know, eat plums or something instead of following the doctor. I don't know, but I have noticed that there seems almost to be a sense of pride in, in resisting and fighting back against, you know, science and evidence. I don't, I don't understand that, but I'm with you on that way. And I've seen that quite a bit. 
Yeah, okay, next next uh, comment. Gardner Earth Guy. Can we get the hookup for FDAC CEUs, Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Service? That's Florida. I think it's a great idea. So I replied back and said, currently, I, I have not found a reasonable way to provide CEUs for each viewer. In order to provide CEUs, I probably would have to charge a fee. Should there be enough interest in CEUs, I may explore this. I have to pay, and then he replied back, I have to pay for CEU classes, and paying you sounds like a great thing. <laughs> Santa Rosa County really lacks on CEUs. I thought about how, how your online classes are better than anything I've taken lately in Milton. So those of you not familiar, Milton's over near Pensacola in Florida. So the whole thing about CEUs is, my, my issue with CEUs is that I am lazy, okay? I do not wanna mow my yard. I don't want to spray my yard. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything to that yard. I want to enjoy life and, and CUs take a long time to apply for. And, and so it, let's say it takes me an hour to apply for the CEUs in Florida. Well, that's for, you know, however many people are watching in Florida, but then there's, I mean, right now I have, I think there's. 35 states watching YouTube right now or, or whatever it is or downloading my podcast. There's one others and we have people in Canada, we have people in Italy and Bulgaria, Australia. I mean, we have people all over the world. Now, granted, they might not need CEUs per se, but we have a large you know, eclectic group here and I'd have to apply to CEUs for each state in the United States. It's a lot of work and I, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to do it. I do not want to do CEU and fill out all the CEU forms and talk to the people and try to get all the stuff and then fill it. I don't want to do that. And then I got to take all the names and turn it back in and do all this. I don't want, I don't want to do that. Having said that, if there is an easy way to do it and you all are willing to pay some fee to, to, so it's worth my time to go through all that effort, then I would consider it. I would definitely consider it. But right now I have no intentions of, of feeling, I would be happy to provide it. I'd be love to provide it. But I just don't want to put in the amount of effort and time that it takes to do every state for every viewer. That's a tremendous amount of time to get all that done. So I haven't really, really given that a whole lot of thought I mean, other than it's a lot of work. So if anybody has any suggestions on how to provide that in a reasonable way or anybody's willing to, you know, volunteer some time to get the paperwork done, then I'm all ears. Let me know. I mean, I, I think it's a good idea. I just don't know if it's in my future to do it myself. <laughs> Thanks, Gardner Earth Guy. UF Gator Ag says, Dr. Shaddix, again, thank you so much for all these videos and YouTube. It's really so informative and helpful. And Gary, UF Gator, go Gators. I just included that because it's a Gator guy. <laughs> it's a positive comment. Thanks, thanks, UF Gator Ag. Let's go to the next one. Mitch Bird, 61146 says, Great information. These knee jerk reactions require less research, homework, and analysis. Those in these positions do do what makes 80% happy to stay in power. Many times when these things don't work out later, they tell the same 80%, we will make things this better and, and it's and it's make this better and it's bought. The same people hold these positions for years. Ryan on the grass factor had some good information on fake turf and its negative effects on temperature runoff and water infiltration. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. This was about a video I had on um, putting, they were, they banned the city, some cities in California banned turf, banned turf grass. Then they put in fake turf grass and then they realized that's a problem. So they banned that stuff. And then in Arizona doing the same thing, they banned natural grass because it uses water, too much water in their opinion. But instead of looking at another species of grass that doesn't require that much water, they put in plastic grass. Well, what's going to happen five or 10 years from now is probably the same thing that's going to happen. That's happening now in California. They're going to go out and rip, in, rip out all the plastic grass because they realize it has a lot of PFAS in it. 
And they're going to realize that as a bigger problem, it would have been a less problem if they would have just left the turf alone or found a, a turf grass that is uh, less requiring of water and more resistant to, um, to, to drought. So I can tell we're just going to be doing comments tonight. So we're not going to be doing any, any, any video, any, any PDF. It looks like anyway, it's cause we're running out of time chat BG, BG one, one by one B the same thing. This was a good topic. I applied ammonium sulfate for the first time in early October this year on my, on my Kentucky bluegrass home lawn in Indianapolis and got a really great result compared to urea. Did my first soil test in mid-November and pH was a 7.7. If I had not watched your live shows on fall fertility, I would have applied more ammonium sulfate and added some elemental sulfur with it in the November app. I skipped that late fall app, so thanks for helping to dial in the timing for the best possible results. Where did he say he was? Indianapolis, yeah. Yeah, it's a little late to be putting out too much stuff in November. Yeah, I mean, you probably could get by with it, but even even Purdue would say, yeah, you might want to slow down a little bit there, do it in the spring or do it next fall or something. If you'd be so kind, Travis, I'm really curious if you believe citric acid is necessary to apply along with ammonium sulfate and sulfur to lower the pH need, needle in a year's time by close to half a point down from 7.7. We have very hard city water here, and my lawn irrigation system uses the city water. Everything in the soil test was in normal ranges except for iron and manganese, which were high. Calcium also barely on the high end. These are high from the city water and high pH is my thought. So citric, I mean, the question I always have, I'll come back. Um, how much is left? Okay, let me read two more paragraphs. I'll come back to this paragraph. Man, thanks for all you do in this channel. Can't wait to hear about the upcoming thoughts and papers on different nutrients for fertilization. Future topics of interest for me would be different fungicide effectiveness as a preventative and or curative for fungal diseases and on cool season grasses, app timing, and how quick to put water, liquid fungicides, pH, nitrogen, potassium, roll with cool season lawns, leaf spot melting out, so more diseases and so forth. Okay. Um, so back to this paragraph, if you'd be so kind, I'm really curious what about citric acid. So would I include citric acid with ammonium sulfate to lower the pH by a half in a year or whatever? The question I have, as it always is, is why do you want to lower the pH? Do you have a good reason? And if your turf looks good, then you don't have a good reason, basically. Or unless you have a pre-existing condition, let's say let's, <clears throat> let's say your pH was 8.5 and it was horrible, your turf was horrible, and you started lowering it, and now it's down to 7.7 .7 and it's looking better. Okay, well, that was a pre-existing condition and you're trying to hold it down. Well, then maybe you do have a good reason. Even if your turf does look good, maybe you're trying to hold it down because previously it was high enough to cause some problems for your turf. But if it's 7.7 .7 and the turf looks fine, I wouldn't worry about applying any citric acid. I mean, I would, I would use the least expensive nitrogen source even at 7.7. .7. I might be convinced to use ammonium sulfate if I had some, but I mean, it's not going to hurt anything. It's probably only going to help, I guess, ammonium sulfate. But if you're going to add, if your intention is to add citric acid and on top of ammonium sulfate to help increase the, the rate of reduction of pH, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it, but I don't know what your lawn looks like. So if your lawn looks fine, then I would just stick with ammonium sulfate and, you know, be happy with it. I, I don't, don't know if you're going to gain a whole lot from adding an expense like citric acid. I mean, it's not expensive, but adding a citric acid to ammonium sulfate to just lower the number. My concern is that you're chasing numbers. You're trying to hit a magic number on pH when your eyes need to be focused on the turf grass first. And if you're, and if your eyes are focused on the turf grass and your turf grass is not acceptable to you, okay, you, you say it's not acceptable and it's 7.7, .7, then I would still just stay with ammonium sulfate. Just stick with ammonium sulfate, 
you know, follow the Purdue recommendations for nitrogen applications. At, you know, I don't know if it's one to two pounds a year. I'm, I don't remember the rates they recommend. But if you're doing one to two pounds, maybe it's three pounds, whatever they have on their, their charts, um, with ammonium sulfate, you'll see that 7.7 more than likely be reduced. And it may be reduced by more than you, you know, expect. Ammonium sulfate has a tremendous impact on pH. Now, you have heavier soils there, I think, in, in Indiana, but it'll still help reduce it, okay? So I would just stay with ammonium sulfate. Next comment. Kevin Z9785 says, This is a very clear explanation of the difference between name-calling and ad hominem attacks. I know nothing about turf, grass, or lawns, and I, but I did appreciate your use of oblate spheroid for the shape of the earth makes the astronomer in me happy. Thanks, Kevin. Um, yeah, I don't know how many people caught that episode where I was talking about, um, an ad hominem, you know, saying, saying negative things and calling people names and all these things. It's not an, it's not an ad hominem to call somebody a name. It's an ad hominem to say that their argument is flawed because, or their argument is wrong because they are a jerk or whatever, you know? That's the ad hominem. But in there, I was talking about flat earth people. And um, the earth is an oblate spheroid. <laughs> it's not round. And I guess he caught that. So I'm a I'm an amateur astronomer. My backdoor neighbor is an amazing astronomer for an amateur. He does crazy, really good quality uh, uh, photographs of nebula and all sorts of stuff. It's really amazing. He's on, he's on uh, Facebook. He posts them on Facebook. It's astonishing. All right. Looney says, another great episode. Too bad I've been missing the live recordings. I had to cut out this clip. I think I remember what this clip was, and that's probably the reason I... Can I click on it? I don't know if I can click on this. Oh, I can. Let's see where it goes here. Oh, okay, so i got to go back to... the. Okay, here we go. This is the clip he, he had in his comment. Let's, this, I think I know what this is. <laughs> did he clip that out? Oh, he clipped it out. How did he do that? How, oh, how do you, how did he clip that out? Just that little section. Oh, I got to learn how to do that. Uh, okay. Let me play it again. <laughs> that's oh, that's too much that's that's too much so looney put that in a comment how do you do the clip thing i don't know how you do those clips because i thought that was the video the whole video i was like how in the world did he just get to that part of the video yeah yeah, that kind of got me, as you can tell. I probably should have been nicer. I apologize to the gentleman. I probably should be a little more kind in my reply, reply there. But some things are just so ludicrous that you just can't help your your response. <laughs> Striperman says, interesting info and impressed with Dr. Braun as a young man. He accomplished a lot for a short period of time. Yeah, that was on the Dr. Braun episode. The first or second author I had, the first author was my wife, who was upstairs waiting patiently for me to come to bed. 
Dr. Braun is awesome. That dude is sitting and doing a ton of writing. And I, that's, that's what I like to see. I like to see scientists, as you all, you all know, I've, I mean, I've mentioned this before. I don't, I don't think research is finished until it's published. So you're not a scientist. Science, scientists contribute to science and that is, um, that is building models. Science builds models. Okay, that's what we do. We're not, we're not necessarily there to determine exactly what's true and what's not true because our model could be wrong, okay? But we are there as scientists to contribute to the scientific model of turfgrass science. And we can't do that unless we publish. I don't care how much research you think you're doing in your lab and how much data and how many models you want to build on the computer and how many Excel files and R files you have and all these models. If you don't publish it, it's your opinion. Okay. And to be honest, I don't really care about your opinion. I care about what's the, what the evidence says. If your opinion is based on the evidence, then show me the evidence. And the evidence is in the scientific literature. If it's not in the scientific literature to me and, and even to the hierarchy of evidence, it's considered opinion if you don't publish it. And Dr. Braun is a publishing machine. And uh, I, I like to see that. I like to see young faculty, old faculty, whoever, come up with new ideas and new ways to do things and new concepts and new theories and, and publish them. And what, imagine where the world would be if Einstein had all those ideas and he sat in the his office just coming up with them and writing them and sticking them in his file cabinet. You got to publish those things. Sub subject them to criticism. Subject them to the refereed process. Get them out. I like that. And he's doing a great job of doing that. Thanks for that comment. Who was, who said that striper man? Thanks for making that comment about Dr. Braun. He's, he's a, he's a machine. The lawn Renaissance, Dr. Shaddix. Thanks for sharing your insight on such a trivial topic. I know this may be a very elementary question, but I'm a square one type of guy. Is there a nitrogen source that is superior to the others with regard to home lawn fertility program, i.e. I. urea versus ammonium sulfate? Yeah. Thanks the lawn Renaissance for that question. I, I will say that, <clears throat> Superior is subject to the definition of whatever you're defining as superior. I mean, what I would say is my definition is the uh, amount of response to meet an acceptable level for the least amount of money. So if you have three, three nitrogen sources, as I've said before, I'm pretty confident that I can, re I can apply those to turf grass and have that turf grass result in an acceptable color quality. I can, I can do that with any of those nitrogen sources more than likely they can meet an acceptable level of quality for for you as a homeowner question. And the, but to me, it's not, that's not necessarily determining which one's superior, which one's superior to me is which one can do that for the least amount of money and the least amount of environmental impact. And in most cases it's going to be urea. Okay. In some cases, particularly in cases of low sulfate so soils, which are becoming more and more common, it would be ammonium sulfate. Okay. So in most cases, urea is going to be your option to go to. It's going to give you the most response. It's going to give you an acceptable response for the least amount of money. And you can talk about longevity and we're going to, if you please, as a, as a, as the, as the viewers in my audience, please don't <laughs> say something about, well, how long is it going to last? Just hold your horses. Okay. Just hold tight. <laughs> I'm going to show you exactly what that is. 
because there's this misconception in the industry about, well, I got a 14 day, I got a 14 week product or I got a nine week product. I got, I got duration 90 or duration 45 or polyon 43. And those are going to last eight weeks or 10 weeks or 16 weeks or whatever. There's a misconception that just because those are labeled that way, that urea is inferior in terms of longevity of response. And I'm going to show you the best evidence we have of exactly how long those nitrogen sources will last. So please, I love my audience. Okay. Don't, don't come to me and say, well, I know you said that, Dr. Shaddix, but how long is urea? Urea is not going to last that long. What I would say is, I have evidence. <laughs> so before you go down that road, wait until I present my evidence. And then if you have evidence, i.e. published refereed papers, then we can talk. But if you, if, if you have the opinion, well, I've been doing this for 20, 30 years, and I see this and I see that, well, those are observations. And so be careful where you go with those observations. You can get off on the wrong, on the wrong path if you're not careful. But in general, I would say urea is your number one product to go to. Occasionally, ammonium sulfate will be needed. And if you want to go slow release, pretty strong evidence that the, the most superior slow release source is going to be sulfur-coated urea. And what I mean by that is it's going to give you the, the greatest magnitude of response for the cost to do that. It's going to give you an acceptable turf for the least amount of money compared to polymer-coated ureas, compared to natural organics, compared to reacted ureas, compared to the U-flexes and the U-maxes and all these things. Okay, so if soluble, you want to stay with urea, occasionally ammonium sulfate, maybe even alternate them, would be a, probably a good idea. And if you're dead set on having a slow release, which, you know, whatever, if you if you must use a slow release, then sulfur-coated urea right now, the greatest evidence is, is that sulfur-coated urea is going to be the least expensive source. Okay. And I'll, I'll get to that paper. Oh, and that's it. That's it on the comments. Okay. That's all the comments I have. I was going to go to an article and I was going to go into a YouTube video, but I will not do that now because that was an hour and a half of, um, of comments and emails. No one wants to call. No one's brave. Or is it, maybe it's not working. It definitely could not be working. So don't, don't feel bad <laughs> if you tried and it didn't work. It's probably on my, my end. It probably is broke. <laughs> Um, but if I will say this, if you did try to call it and didn't work, just give me, give me a, a shout out. Let me know because Hey, just cause that way I'll know how I need to fix it or something. Cause I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing. Let me read through the comments. I'll go back through and see if I have any interesting comments before I go. And, uh, let's see. <clears throat> oh, then he says, I got, I've, I've got a voice for print. It's going to need a lot of liquid courage. I I hope, I hope you're not too nervous to call in. I mean, you know, I'm just a dude. <laughs> uh, I'm here. Okay. John P says those negative comments are probably sales reps on Ironite. Well, yeah, I got one or two that weren't from Ironite sales reps, but I did get one or two unfortunate emails. I'll just say this. If you want to stay off of my radar, don't publish nonsense and you won't, you won't get on it. It's that simple. I speak for your chat here, but that would be nine. No, nine. I think all those talking about the, um, the amount of the, the, you know, how people got into YouTube and the, you know, I think that's correct me if I'm wrong, Aldo, but I think that's probably what you're talking about. You say nine, percent of you kind of you started off, you started looking into more information and you kind of got into the YouTube vortex and 
I'm not, I'm not here to say YouTube is horrible. I mean, there are people on YouTube who do, do, do good things. I mean, there's, there's actually, um, some universities that have, uh, some sort of presence. I know Dr. Rossi has a presence on YouTube or at least a podcast. I think the university of Tennessee has something on uh, YouTube or or podcast. I don't, rem- I don't know. I don't listen to it, but I that's vaguely remember some stuff like that. So there are people out there. You just got to weed through a bunch of nonsense and to find that one diamond, you know? Um, Tanner Moore says, I'm enjoying learning as well as unlearning a lot. That's an interesting way to say that. That's, it is hard to learn. When I, I, I did uh, athletics for my whole life. And in the last, in the last 10 years, I've been injured. So I've been, I haven't been able to do any training really at all because of my injuries. But uh, I, I taught martial arts for a long, long time. And the, the, the most difficult students to work with were older students who already were trained in some other Taekwondo or Rinchen Khan or whatever the case is. And they were taught in a, in a, a way that now they want to learn MMA and they have to unlearn this hard, rigid structure of katas and all these other things. They have to unlearn that in order to restructure their body for the MMA style or the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu style or whatever the case is. And those, those are the ones that are most difficult. It's the, the new students coming in, the white belts. On, those are easy to train because they come in, they don't have any pre- preconceived notion. They're willing to accept what you have and they don't have to rewire their brain. So when you say... Um, Tanner, you know, as well as unlearning a lot, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. You have to kind of rewire your thinking. You've been indoctrinated into believing that, you know, the earth is flat. And now you're like, wait a second, someone's saying the earth's not flat. I mean, imagine how hard that would be to change your mind. And, um, if that's what you're doing, you're unlearning a lot, then that's a good step in the right direction. It, assuming that, you know, you were sort of in the wrong area to begin with. Maybe, maybe that's not true, but, um, Super TA says, Dr. Shaddix, it's all about the Benjamins. Unfortunately, I fell victim for many years. The buck stops now. Good job, Super TA. I like that statement, you know? I was saying this the other day. It's, you know, and it sounds, I hope this comes off the right way. It, it It's not really that complicated. Turf grass management. It's not overly complicated. It's water, it's light, it's temperature. And when I say that, I mean it relative to other things. It's not really that complicated relative to leadership, relative to you know, hiring good employees and, and keeping them motivated and keeping them, you know, on task and, and people management, the, the agronomics are not that overly complex. It's, it's the smoke and mirrors that people want to throw at you. Like they got a new, they've built a new mouse trap and they want to sell you a new mouse trap. And, you know, you're convinced, well, that must be a good mouse trap because he says everybody's buying it. And you start to kind of, you, you move away from critical thinking you're, you're guided away from these critical thinking process by, by some people who are, you know, trying to sell you something. And, and, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But if, if something comes along the market that is that big and that, that it changes our industry that much, you know, the, the chances are very rare that that's going to happen. And it does happen. I mean, you have the polymer coated ureas come up in the early nineties that changed a lot of what we thought up until then we're using reactants and sulfur coats and natural organics. And then polymer coats came around and it changed a lot of what we do that can happen. You know, the real mower changed a lot of what we do. Airification, the air fire, verticutting, all these technologies at some point did not exist. And when they came on the market, they exist and they changed the way we manage things. So they can happen. But generally speaking, it's pretty rare 
that some product comes on the market, product or service that completely changes things, then everybody's got to do it because now you've got the newest, best thing and your world's going to be better for it. You know, it's normally championships are won with the fundamentals. It's the blocking and tackling. It's the water, the light, the temperature, the basic stuff. And that that's what's going to win championships. And to, to kind of go off on these roads of I'm going to buy iron X and I, I'm going to, I'm going to use seaweed extract, you know, cold storage. I mean, whatever they want to come up with. I'm not saying they don't work. I'm just saying I wouldn't even explore those options unless I had the fundamentals in place first. And then when I chose to explore those options, the first thing I would do is find an expert who's not connected to the financial well or the, the revenue of the company. Call it, Call a university uh, professor, someone who specializes in that area, go to TGIF or go to Google Scholar and Google it. And it says seaweed extracts and humic acid and it brings up Dr. Irvin. Well, then I'd send Dr. Irvin an email and say, hey, I need some more help understanding this. Can you help me out and understand that? Granted, he's you know, moved on. He's a chair now and so forth. But you see my point. I'd find someone who's a specialist in it and just have a, have a candid conversation with them. I'm thinking about including this in my program. You have these publications on this. I've read a couple of your publications. I'm a little bit hazy. Can you help me out? That's That would be the way I would do it. That's the way I do it now. I come up with it. Somebody asks me a question. I'm like, I don't know the answer. And I call Dr. Munshaw or I call, you know, send an email to Dr. Harmon or send an email to whoever. I was like, I don't know the answer to this. I send them an email and ask them. I've, I've been very, very as, as much as there is a brotherhood on YouTube of lawn care, the community, that same community exists in the scientific world too. And you guys can be a part of it. You guys are paying their salaries. <laughs> You're taxpayers. You're paying them. And very, very rarely have I ever ran into a professor that's not willing to extend their time to help you. Okay. They'll, they'll help you. I mean, may not pick up the phone immediately and call you back in 10 seconds, but they'll, they've been very responsive whenever I've needed help. That's the direction I would go. Uh, let's see. I have feature, uh, super T said I feature for sale on the cheap. <laughs> I, I did an episode on feature and that's a soluble or a, a melting down product that probably does result in a response. I imagine. Uh, oh, maybe super T is talking about the guy that does it. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'll move on. I don't really know what you're talking about there. Sorry. Super T A. Eric says, I really love that particular video and learned so much about lignin breakdown and its challenges. Yeah, so did I, Eric, with the Dr. Sidhu. My goodness. I, th I, you know, I just, I was disappointed in myself for being so amazed with him. <laughs> I was like, why am I so amazed with him? I should have expected him to be that good. I just didn't expect him to be that good. I mean, he was very well spoken. I really enjoyed that conversation. Ray, Ray's talking about iron. Um, yeah, way, way to make an expensive mess in someone's pool or on their concrete surfaces. I'll tell you what, Ray, you will not find a better way to lose your revenue and re lose your profit than to have to remove the stains at the bottom of someone's swim pool from iron applications that got, that you know you thought was in the lawn and it went off into the pool and now there's these red stains in the bottom of a swim pool. You're dead right about that. You will lose some profit real fast doing that. And there's no need, as I've mentioned, there's really no need to even have that in the granular fertilizer, including manganese sulfate as well. 
because it's not well manganese sulfate's a little uh, i guess it's a little different Man, there is a possibility you can get some response from granular manganese sulfate that's that is possible but so i, I guess i'm wrong about that. That, that you could get there could be some value to granular manganese sulfate but but iron in the blend just take it out the risk is too great of staining stuff and losing your profit and the reward being turf response is extremely low. The likelihood is very, very low. So I would, I'm with you, Ray. That's an expensive mess. Someone's pool. <clears throat> Ray says some things work and do not need to be picked apart by academics. At the end of the day, it's about responses and not numbers. Oh, that's true in terms of turf grass response. I like that. Yes, I'm not sure if I follow you on some of that, Ray, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree with you when you're saying some things work and do not need to be picked apart by academics. I, I don't know what you mean by that. Maybe we can talk about that later. I'm not sure where you're going with that. Yeah. So yeah, about the CEUs, Ray, you're right about the, yeah, I've done, I've done CEUs for Tennessee, Indiana, Kentucky, Florida. Ohio, and it's just a pain in the neck. Now, I will say this, and this could be a fun, this could be a crowdsource funding opportunity for anybody interested in supporting this idea. I have a very good friend who's an attorney, and she says that in the world of attorneys, there are certain legal, um, I don't know, I'm going to get this wrong, but there's some sort of legal term or, or concept used to institute or to have put into place i can't remember the name of the term where whatever's allowed in kentucky can also be accepted in in the neighboring state like indiana or ohio so the reason i'm saying that is i've had this idea for a couple of years but i don't have the revenue or the money to pursue it and that is pursuing the legal option of going to kentucky and saying we have pesticide applicators in Ohio that need CEUs to cover 15 lawns on the south part of Cincinnati in Kentucky. So they need a Kentucky license and they need an Ohio license, but they already have an Ohio license. Can we just use that Ohio license and accept that license to allow them to apply pesticides for home lawns in Kentucky? There is some sort of legal option for that, that as far as I know, has never been pursued. And I think, I think it might be worth pursuing. Imagine if you're working on the border of a state and you have a license for Tennessee, you have a license for, you know, Alabama or Mississippi, and you're like, man, I got to keep up with all these CEUs and all these licenses. And da, da, da. imagine if somebody could come around and say, you know what, we can talk to the powers that be in that area and allow them to institute a policy that accepts the licenses from other states. So you only have to get CEUs from one state and it would cover these two or three adjoining states. If that's of interest to you, I'm not saying I can do it, but I'm saying that my attorney friend said that sort of concept exists in the legal world, but it would have to be pursued. Someone would have to be the champion to push that through. So it's, <clears throat> it's possible. I mean, I don't know if anybody's pursued it or not, but it's something to consider if, if you guys are in that uh, situation. <clears throat> Polo, good, good evening, Ulysses Serpa. 
Well, it is a type, yeah, Ray says, I think I'm talking about reciprocity. Yeah, it is a type of reciprocity, but there's a legal term for it. And I'm not an attorney. I just know I was speaking to her about it. And she goes, yeah, that's called whatever. And she said it exists all the time and you just got to go do this and do that. And if the states agree, then you can do it. And I'm like, okay, well, someone's got to pick that up and run with it. I mean, I guess it's different if you're in Hawaii, you have one state, but imagine if you're, you know, in, well, in Cincinnati or in your, you're in Louisville and you're having to deal with, you know, stuff on one side of the state in Indiana and stuff on the other side of the state in Kentucky. And you've got, you got applicators going across the state lines here and there, and you got to keep everything legal. It's a mess to kind of keep up with all those CEUs, but Tanner Moore says you're in Florence, Florence, Kentucky. Well, for, uh, another Kentuckian. So, um, yeah. Good to know. All right, guys, that's all I got. So next week I will start on my articles. I know I picked up like, I don't know, like five new iron articles, but it's because somebody asked a question that I didn't know the answer to. And that had to do with iron sulfate applications for some types of weed control. So I'm going to go over my articles and then I'm going to go over these iron sulfate articles at the end that have to do with weed control. It's not my area, but there's like three or four good articles that, that show not really a whole lot happens to be frank, but I'll go over some of that stuff at the end. So I've got a, um, a, a show every Wednesday for the next three weeks or something. And then I'll pick up a normal, my normal schedule or my new normal schedule, which will be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday mornings at 10 AM after the, the holiday break. Okay, guys. Um, so with, with that, I'll say have a Merry Christmas. I will be back on the Wednesday after Christmas. And until then, I hope you be kind and, uh, I'll see you the Wednesday after Christmas. Bye guys.